to episode 32 of Black Band T-Shirt Podcast, still on the Manic Street Preachers. So we've kind of gone into part three accidentally. Um, <laughs> didn't announce part two as part two, but that was our deep dive on the Holy Bible. And of course, part one, we covered um, Generation Terrorists and Gold Against the Soul. So here we go on Everything Must Go. Um, <clears throat> do you want to start us off here, Rich? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I suppose I suppose I will. I mean, um, you know, as we established while we were doing our rankings mm. um, at the weekend, um, I, I think my view of this album is very different from you guys. Yeah, uh, and I and I think that stems largely from um, the fact that I was kind of. You know, there when it was new, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and uh, had had previously, you know, experienced everything that went on around the Holy Bible um, in real time, mm. uh, and I think that you know very much um, coloured my, uh, uh, you know, that on a you know specifically to the manics level but also on the level of sort of what was going on in terms of music at the same time yeah um and and i was sort of there at sort of ground zero as a teenager when um when Britpop and all the rest of it was popping off mm. so you know my my view of the album really boils down to the fact um that you know it it is again, as we said, you know, there was a there was a notable change of direction between Gold Against the Soul and the Holy Bible. Yeah, and then I think there was another quite notable change of direction um, between the Holy Bible and Everything Must Go. Yeah, and I think you can't really look at that kind of shift in in musical approach without looking at a couple of factors, namely, you know, what had happened to the band. Yeah. Um, in the wake of the Holy Bible and prior to this um, album, and it's sort of what was largely going on in the in the UK in UK pop music at the time as well, and uh, and I think those were the you know obviously it's it's hard to ever know uh, exactly how somebody arrived at where they at mm. where they did creatively on something, but it's certainly seemed to me at the time like those were the the two big factors interestingly um one of my one one of the, one of my uh sort of best parts is the main influence james d bradfield took for the sound of this record um was the McCalman and uh, McCalman and butler single yes um, do you, are you aware of that song, Chris? I can't, not from the title or the artist or anything. It's, no, um, it's so, obviously, so, um, Bernard Butler was the guitarist in, in Suede. Right. And he um, collaborated with whatever his first name, McCalmont, <laughs> to make this one-off sort of single. And an album did come out of it afterwards. But Yes was this sort of uh, big, sheeny pop single. Yeah. Very indebted to um, sort of Burt Bacharach, okay. sort of thing um, that came out, came around in the early nineties, and um, yeah, it's a really cracking song. Bit of a fish out of water moment with everything else going on yeah. around it, which I've, this album is, I guess, for me. 
I get, um, like, like, like I said right at the top of the podcast um, whilst A Desire for Life was in and amongst everything going on and you pointed out after our um, recording on, on the weekend that um, uh, Bittersweet Symphony was another massive Britpop yeah. song and this is this the sound of this album is very in line with that definitely yeah and i think that you know there was a lot of that stuff going on you know it, it, it's very telling uh you know first of all the the sort of complete uh production style 180 yeah. from from the holy bible which mm, as we were mm. talking about before is it's so sort of austere raw and scratchy and yeah sparse um and and this is sort of you know very much the opposite end of it. Yeah. And you know my my personal tastes mm. are not generally geared towards you know nice slick smooth <laughs> production. Yeah. You know I I like to be able to you know even on you know in some you know incredibly abrasive metal records that I mm. uh, it, that I encounter you know I I'd always err on the side of I like things that sound a bit more raw and loose and yeah. you know have have a bit of their own kind of feel going on it always comes down to humanity than, to me if it feels yeah. like it's been played by a group of humans rather than put together by i i think but, that is that and I, I and i'm not sure actually that this this album's guilty of that no, but it's no. you know it's a very kind of you know it's a very smooth production mm. it's not you know it's not in any way kind of challenging in the way the music's presented mm. um, I was going to say this, the... this for me is kind of why it's almost it's it's my number two album after Holy Bible but in terms of it's it's almost the complete opposite where I said Holy Bible is the one where I can listen to it and appreciate how incredible it is and then I have to leave it alone for a good while <laughs> whereas this one is, is kind of the opposite to that it's I'm really enjoying it when it's on and then it finishes and I don't think about it at all yeah you know, I mean, like it, that, it, was, it, that was the thing I listened to and I really enjoyed um, and that's about as deep as that goes I mean it, it, it goes down a lot smoother I yeah. guess and uh, and I think the, the other thing to identify is obviously this is kind of you know I think even up to and including the Holy Bible they were to some extent a bit of a niche concern mm. yeah um, and, and then you know they um you know they release everything must go um and you know then it's you know they they exploded yeah. and you know cuz everything that was you know design for life the single comes out before the album yeah. if i've remembered correctly I've got, i mean i've got this it was, so like I it think was everywhere it's worth you know. kind of noting that so I've, I've got a credit at this point as well i listened to i happened to come i was just searching for stuff generally and i came across um there's a podcast, Classic Album Club, by Mark Goodyear. Um, mm. And there's an episode with James Dean Bradfield talking about Everything Must Go. And it's a really interesting conversation to hear him, hear him contextualise it. He talks in quite in depth about like the months leading up to them, like writing it, recording it. And there's a moment where he said that they had been told by Sony that they were going to be dropped, basically. Right. They were like... Because of the whole situation, they weren't sure they were even going to be a functioning band. They weren't sure what they were going yep. to come out with. So the label were like, just, you know, full disclosure. This isn't a guaranteed thing, because if, if you aren't able to function anymore, then we can't mm. be pouring money into it. Mm. And yeah. um, 
a, uh, a representative that they worked with closely that knew them well from the label came to their um, studio and listened to them do a run-through of Design for Life and off the basis of that run-through of that one song alone secured the contract for them. Mm. So right. they credit that song as saving them as a band, basically yeah, saving yeah. their career, which th that's no mean thing, you know, like no, that's a big deal. Um, and I can see why, like if you were to hear that song for the first time, I think it's like you say, it's the polar opposite and probably the opposite of what the label would have been expecting. Yeah. And in that sense, it's kind of almost as shocking because of that drastic change. Yeah, it's yeah. just as brave and shocking as what they did with Holy Bible in some ways as yeah. a choice. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, and we 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 touched on this um, when I, I can't remember whether it came up while we were recording or when we were talking mm. around it um, mm. subsequently. But I think you know it's you know I think you were saying, Chris, that the um, you know, I can't imagine, given the situation that they were in, and you know what they what they'd been through with everything that happened with with Richie. I think you know I can quite understand why they perhaps weren't in the mood to make another harrowing, no. bleak, existentially miserable record. Yeah. Um, but equally, I find it. That's what I find amazing is that they've written. So they basically didn't really do much for five months after he went mm. missing. They had their, their songs on here which were basically fully formed before he went missing that were written with him. So Elvis Impersonator, Kevin Carter. No uh, Surface or Feeling. Yeah. Removables possibly, I'm not sure. And um, Small Black Flowers That Grow In The yeah. Sky is... Um, from his lyrics. At from least. his lyrics, yeah. yeah. And, and so for the, when they came back together after about five months, Design For Life Again was one of the first ones. That, and I can't... I think it's impressive that they've come up with a song that no matter what you think of it in terms of personal taste, and I completely understand why a lot of people, it's just not their thing, mm. um, who were fans of what they were doing before. But to, to come from that place mentally and as a group and come out with a song that sounds that confident mm. um, yeah, and that for sure. and defiant you know, almost. Dis despite my feelings about the song, clearly they were doing something that appealed to a lot of people mm. because they, you know they really kind of took off at this point yeah. um you know which which is kind of where um where myself and and the manics kind of parted ways yeah, yeah. in terms of something that i was you know desperate to hear everything that came out of them because you know i remember i remember hearing a design for life and thinking hang on what's what's going on here yeah. and and then hearing the album and and just thinking really you know this this isn't really doing it for me i mean yeah. we we spoke before about you know the the kind of completely unmistakable character of james dean bradfield's voice and obviously that is there you know it's yeah. it's in evidence on this record i, I mean, think that's that's one of my best things about it is it is it's the first time where his vocals have been given the kind of space to really shine i think yeah, but on the other hand, you know, I think, you know, one of the other things that <laughs> that I very much enjoy about um, JDB's antics was, you know, him as a guitarist. And I think that, kind of, you know, maybe he's just like, look, I've 
I don't want to be doing the flashy shit anymore. And, but you know, I, think, I like the flashy shit. Yeah, and it <laughs> I, go, I mean, it goes you know, in like line it. with like your kind of n- n- non-enjoyment of a lot of the Britpop stuff. Is that something I read in quite a lot of the the more loud guitar-y songs on here? They're a mm. lot more sort of thick and wall of noisy. And he has said that that was a direct influence from Definitely Maybe from oasis yeah so yeah that that goes in line with the whole brit and you know the sort of you know going off on a tangent you know the the brit pop thing was largely not something that really ever did it for me Mm. in terms of the kind of the sound of those bands the kind of character of those bands um just the whole vibe was something that you know being a being a teenager in you know around sort of bang in the middle of the 90s when all this stuff was yeah. was really popping off mm. and it was something that I fairly quickly even though I was still at that stage of kind of establishing what my personal musical taste was I uh, I fairly quickly came around to the idea that it was not this <laughs> um you know Do you think there's an element in that of it not being for like, because I suppose the early Manic Sounds, a lot of what you described was that, and what we talked about actually was that whole kind of outsider nature of it. Yeah, and, and whereas I, Britpop I th- was very much the well, mainstream thing. At yeah, the time, it, it? it it was, and you know, I think you know, with specific reference, to, I mean, what I would say is the one band that always you know tickled me the right way in the, in the Britpop era, and I still maintain were arguably the most interesting band knocking about at the time is Pulp. Yeah. You know, I never had any interest really in Oasis, in Blur, in, you know, and any of the sort of assorted pile yeah. of <laughs> bands that was <laughs> sloshing about at that point. But, you know, Pulp, I always thought were, you know, a much more interesting, both sort of musically and characteristically uh, proposition than than the vast majority of those bands knocking about. Um, but, you know, I, I, and like you were saying, Chris, like the, um, you know, I think there was, you know, a very sort of outside, you know, even though they were on, you know, Columbia, which is hardly, you know, some janky little label being run out of a bedroom. <laughs> but, um, you know, th- there was this kind of outsider vibe to them. Yeah. Um, up up to the Holy Bible and you know really uh, everything must go was the point where they kind of came inside the tent really Um, but to to counterpoint that slightly you've got their big single from this album starting off with the lyric libraries gave us power you know, the, 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 the oh, is, this, this is the thing, the lyrics and the intent behind Design for Life is, is still very much in line with everything. Oh, absolutely. And, and I wouldn't dispute that at all. Um, but I think it's, um, you know, the and, and you know, perhaps I, I, I don't, I don't doubt that, you know, perhaps they themselves would make the argument that if you're trying to get people to engage with this stuff better to wrap it up in a more sort of palatable package yeah um you know it's about sort of delivering those things without you know necessarily being you know abrasive about it you know not everyone's got to be rage against the machine or propaganda sitting down and explaining it to people rather than shouting it in their face (laughs) yeah um but but uh, you know and i and i think that's a valid point but i think 
you know, musically, yeah. you know, I th- I think I said this when we were when we were doing the run through uh, of all the albums right at the beginning that, you know, it did feel to me like despite the fact that Richie was you know barely a musician <laughs> in in terms of his contributions to the band, you know, I do feel that in the post Richie era, certainly from my perspective. You know, the fire went out a little bit in yeah. terms of, you know, how exciting the music was. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I can I can sort of forgive everything must go on the basis that, you know, it's always good to try something different. And this was very much a kind of change of pace from, from what they'd done before. And I quite un- appreciate that under the circumstances... They probably weren't in the mood for making yet another mm. existentially harrowing examination of the worst of the human condition. <laughs> but um, you know, I think we'll we'll get onto it. But I think it was so phenomenally successful, and you know, just blew them up as a band, and they were part of you know something broader than them as a band as well. That. Uh, you know, I think that kind of set the. T- was that someone screaming at your end, or? <laughs> I think I, I think it might be a child on the street. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe maybe she's experiencing the you know the worst worst end of the human condition. <laughs> um, some someone player everything must go. Might cheer her up. Um, but. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously it was so successful that mm-hmm. then I think, you know, this album kind of then um, set the template for everything yes. that came after it. Oh, yeah. Opened and, and more I think than one door. That's absolutely my worst part of this album, that it did become an albatross for the next few years um, because this got so phenomenally massive. Uh, um, every record after that, for quite a while was a, an attempt to recreate what the, the magic yeah, of and, everything uh, must go. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting, the thing about, you know, someone from Sony going, well, you know, lads, it's it's looking like curtains for you yeah. unless you can really come up with the goods. Mm. And I, I, I wonder to what extent that meant that once they had had that, yeah. you know, phenomenal success with this record whether there was a real a bit of a reluctance to kind of subsequently rock the boat yeah, yeah. don't want to self-sabotage you know, it those those first you know particularly generation terrorists and um holy bible they're very much exercises in in rocking the boat as hard as they can and seeing what yeah. they can get away with but i i wonder if you know once you're at the point that you know you're you're getting older you're probably you know thinking about the sort of long term right. of your career and yeah. you know having a family and all the rest of it yeah, yeah yeah that that maybe you do i mean i think it happens to a lot of people that you become inherently less willing to rock the boat but unfortunately for me that means that you know the the big successful popular manic street preachers album that i didn't especially care for um became kind of the the template for for the manic street preachers as an ongoing yeah. prospect Let's. Um, um, I mean, you know, I, 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 I think you know my my view of it's very much influenced by the context of it. Yeah. When it came out, I was and having the big difference so for us in terms of probably where we see it is like we said before. This was to 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 people Ollie and I's age. Basically, this is 
the default Manic Street Preachers. That yeah, we, so and I think... discovering the stuff from and before it was almost like a bonus of like, oh, they did yeah, this as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can absolutely see that. And I think, you know, if, you know, maybe it, maybe it would be different if I'd come to it later yeah. when it was perhaps more, well, more part of the scenery, but also wasn't quite, you know, at least in my mind, quite as closely linked... Um, sort of stylistically but also just in terms of how it was being presented to something that I didn't really care for in terms yeah. of Britpop and everything that was going on around it and nobody ever fucking shutting up about it <laughs> for about you know five solid years yeah. at least yeah. it was just Britpop, 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 fucking everywhere. And this would have been right and slap bang in the middle of that time, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sexy, yeah. yeah so, you know, I, I, I think I'd sort of... I'd had sufficient time to take against Britpop yeah. by yeah. this point. And then it felt like there... You know, and you know when you're a... You know, when you're a sulky teenager <laughs> about it, it's like, oh, well, well, okay, they're just doing it to sell out everyone else. Well, and sell you say that, but I, th- and... I think talking... To, I'm going to be bringing this up pretty much with every album after this one. I think this is the one where it starts. I think they're a band, even with the first three albums, that you can't deny the albums themselves have always worn their particular influences very much on their sleeve. Mm. And the difference being from this album onwards is I think that the influences are very... I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for here is, but that their songwriting is very reactionary to what's going on at the time. I feel like right. I feel like from this one onwards, the influences mm-hmm. they bring in and are very much worn on the sleeve are very influenced by things that are happening and are popular at that moment. And that's yeah, something and that I, I think I, tends to... A couple of exceptions to that. But yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Rich, I just wanted to cover here... Um, <laughs> So, if we get down to the uh, the actual album itself, rather than the context, are there any particular awful offended for your songwise, or is there anything you actually like here? Um, I mean, I, I I think you know a big part of my uh, my kind of issue with with the Manics from this point on is. It feels like sort of dynamically everything's kind of levelled off in terms of the the running order of these really? songs. I feel like um, this album is, you know, is but I do, see I don't agree with that about this album. But what I do think is that it doesn't. It feels like almost too. You can hear that half of it was written before Richie went missing, and half of it mm. was written afterwards. Yeah. To me, there's there's half the songs that were written with Richie. You can tell, and you can tell that were more in line with as much as there's still a big production difference and stuff like that. They're more in line with Holy Bible style of music. Yeah, and, um, and I think it almost feels that. So I do think that dynamic difference is there, especially yeah, when you look at songs like um, Small Black Flowers. Small Black Flowers, um, yeah, and you know which I think, well, but but. You know, Small Black Flowers, I think, is probably a a, a, a bit of a standout for me mm-hmm. in that had it been on, you know, another record, I, I'd probably be like, yeah, this is a great song. But I think just kind of it being part of the parcel of this whole record, it's mm. not it's not a song that I'd particularly go and seek out because it's almost kind of tainted by association like with this album. a nice chocolate truffle in the middle of a pile of poo. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, that I I think there's, you know, I think there's, I I think the other thing is once the, you know, and we and we touched on this in terms of the kind of the the slightly strange approach of the Manics in that the guy doing the singing and the composition mm. isn't the guy writing the lyrics. Yeah. And, you know, they're quite impenetrable lyrics at that. Um, and I, I think one of the things that, you know, aside from my sort of Brit poppy qualms about the, the record, one of the things that I think is because it's all a bit straighter and a bit smoother and a bit more, uh, you know, clearly built to try and be a bit more palatable and not um, anything too alarming in terms of musical style that I think some of the elements of the the lyrics which they got away with on previous records because things were a little bit rougher and a little bit more angular. But then it, I, I think it really highlights how sort of clunky in cases the, those lyrics are when you're trying to turn them into a song. Um, you know, I, I, I think... Uh, like I think, I'm trying to think of a good example, but like I think, Kevin Carter gets on my nerves, <laughs> and it's you know, as despite being a huge fan of JDB's vocals, that it's the delivery. It you know, the, there's yeah. nothing to the chorus. He's just sort of, yeah, bellowing somebody. You know, not not a particularly. Um, lyrical sounding name yeah. I, uh, I agree with then, that like, I think that song is an and example that... as well of, of it being the subject matter is just as harrowing as most of yeah. what is on the Holy Bible mm. so if people don't know obviously it's, it's about Kevin Carter a photographer who deliberately sought out like really horrific subject matter basically and stuff that really made you reflect on the worst parts of humanity and the world and then ended up um, killing himself as 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 basically as a result of exposing himself to so much of this. But did obviously there were other things at play. But so it's it's a horrible horrible story and a horrible kind of thing to to choose to make a song about. But I don't think whereas in the Holy Bible we talked about how much the music gets that across. I yeah. don't feel like Kevin Carter does that in any way. I don't think you'd know it was a song about such a dark subject matter unless you yeah and. And and I think also there's something a, a little bit maybe overly simplistic and obvious about the chorus mm -hmm. simply being the guy's name, you know, rather than you know previously where the where you know there's a sort of inhabiting of a character or whatever. It just it just feels very clunky to me. It also um, and, plays and into it my feels... irrational dis, uh, or not dislike, frustration of the fact that a lot of people clearly don't pay attention to lyrics in songs because this song was a top ten hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, um... but I think you know that kind of that kind of speaks to, and I mean I wonder to what extent you know because I don't. I don't particularly like it as a song, but it's probably perhaps closer to the earlier stuff mm. than than a lot of the things on this record. 
Um, but it, it just doesn't really do it for me. Yeah. And I wonder if perhaps the you know the success of it as a single is because everyone have gone, oh, the nice that nice hair design oh, yeah. for life band. Like, um, you know, what was it just that they'd hit that point of success where people were buying their records? Yeah. Maybe. You know, because you know, we are in the era where, you know, it's just like big band, suddenly people are going out and buying their records yeah, yeah. and they hit that point of being so big that, you know, they could have re-released, I don't know, Revolt or something yeah. and and well, had and similar this is, And this is before, you know, it's point. worth thinking about how much it's changed with streaming as well. It's just before you yeah. could just go and listen to the song and see if you liked it. Well, People Quite, would have yeah. known that they had a new single coming out and gone and bought it and then listened to yeah. it um, a lot of yeah. times. So or, yeah. If it wasn't a radio, you know, if it wasn't... Yeah. I don't remember um, this one being on the radio anywhere near as much as a Design for Life one. No, it, was, it wasn't anything like as um, ubiquitous. Um, you know, I remember Everything Must Go, the song being yeah. almost as inescapable as um, Design for Life. And, you know, that's the... I've got that as my favourite song in the end. I, yeah, I was saying nice. to I was saying to Ollie, I've, I I listened to this again today as an album just to be refresh yeah. myself for talking about it and ch- completely changed my top three songs on, oh, on, really? set, on this new listen, <laughs> yeah. which I think to me shows why it's my number two in that actually there are that many songs that I at different points could choose to be my favourites on it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a great, great song. It's, um, yeah. I kind of like the knowingness of it as well that it is directly addressing fans like yourself that they knew were going to be upset by it and going look I'm sorry the, literally the line I hope you can forgive us yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is addressing that and going look I know this isn't what you fell in love with but this is what we need to do right now kind of thing yeah, yeah and, and, and that's you know as, as I said to you guys before I think you know there are there are bands that even though I've kind of fallen away from you know, keeping up with exactly what they're doing and when, because they seem to have moved into musical territory that doesn't especially interest me. There's still a band that I that I like and respect. Yeah. You know, it's very different to my um, relationship with the early Metallica albums versus the Black Album and everything that came after it, where, where Metallica became a band that I neither like nor respect. <laughs> and... In in the instance of the Manics, like I I really want to like what they're yeah. doing. You know, I think I think they're as a as a musical entity an incredibly interesting thing. But it, I always end up feeling a little disappointed that they're not doing something perhaps as as challenging as I'd yeah. like to hear them doing. Yeah. Um, let's go into some more of your favourites, Chris. Um, I've got um, Australia at the top. See, now I was thinking about Australia again today when I was listening through to it, and I've always kind of had the opinion that I don't quite get why everyone thinks it's as good as it is. But then I, the longer the song goes on, the more I get it, because that whole second half is just brilliant in terms of every instrument gradually becoming more and more intense with what it's doing I think um, um, I think what we've established on this podcast is my predilection for 
big anthemic rock songs. Right, well, this is what I'm going to go into. So <laughs> it's, it, it is my number two in the end. Because yeah, the more yeah. I listened to that song, I was like, no, actually, I do get it. Yeah. And I've, I've got, so Everything Must Go, then Australia, and I've got A Design for Life as my number three because I yeah. do think it is a masterclass in songwriting. Whether absolutely. it is, they're, they're absolutely not going to be for everybody, but I think just as a pop song, if you look at it, it's, it's so well written mm-hmm. um, and well performed. Again, it's one of James Dean Bradford's brilliant vocal performances for me. But yeah. that shows that though all those three are very much when I said I could see this album in two halves of like the the pre Richie disappearance and post, they are all very much post Richie songs and yeah. very much the new direction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel I'm, I don't know if part of me is like I almost swerve the older sounding ones because it's almost like a slightly tame version of what they were doing, whereas these ones are the bold, brave new direction and they're the best of that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to second guess myself. I mean, I, really, I, I, I would say in the case of Australia, it you know it does feel like it wouldn't be, you know, it, it, just production-wise, it's approached quite differently. But mm. as a as a song, yeah. as a construct, it feels probably more so than anything on this record. I would argue, like it wouldn't be entirely out of place mm. on Generation Terrorists. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's 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 quite a straightforward rocker, you know? Yeah. And it's and it's a little bit more upbeat than pretty much anything they seem to have done since. Yeah. I mean and like um, I was saying, it, that second half you get some proper shredding going on from, yeah, from, from Bradfield. Um Yeah. So, you know, it's Yeah, I, I, I think it's um I, I think that's probably that and Small Black Flowers are probably mm. my uh, my. I've got the lyrics. My to, songs to Small I Black Flowers as my like highlight thing because I think yeah. I love it as a song. Um, and your int- your personal interest in animal conservation comes into yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, there's so much, so much <laughs> that go come that that is kind of going on in that in terms of yeah, there's, there's a logical report on hallucinating apes. <laughs> A Japanese book about a woman being trapped in sand dunes by a village to be used for breeding. And The Spider and the Fly by Rolling Stones are all significant influences on that song. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Removables is basically the Manics writing a Nirvana song. Yeah. Yeah, um, Removables is a cracking song. I've got, um, I've got down um, the Pumpkins and Pixies influences on, on um, No Surface or Feeling. Yeah, as well. Yeah, um, I yeah. also I don't know how you feel because it's being ninety six. Mm. It's not going to be as big an influence as maybe I initially thought listening to it, but I thought there's some very Johnny Greenwood sounding guitar going on in that song. Mm. <laughs> and the lead guitar melody is very actually it would have been after Ben's, and it sounds mm. very much like that era Radiohead. Interesting. And I think they they are quite Radiohead are quite an or Johnny Greenwood's guitar at least quite an influence on a few occasions later yeah. on as well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. Just to uh, just to hop back to Australia again, yeah. um, we we mentioned it in the Holy Bible, but I think this is perhaps the the second appearance of the Manic's favoured da 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 bit that that um you know is it is used to very different effect in uh, she is suffering on the Holy Bible. <laughs> But uh, um, yeah, well, it's, well, it, it's always fun when you see people going back and kind of digging up those little musical tropes. That um, yeah. What's um, what's your worst song here, Chris? I've gone with "Further Away," which is probably the okay. most Oasis right one. Mm-hmm. You've got "Interiors" song for mm-hmm. Willem de Kooning, who was yep. 
artist who expressionist artist who painted when he had Alzheimer's and didn't know what he was painting right and didn't remember doing them afterwards when someone showed them to him oh bless so him it was like this obsession that, that, that they had with, with him and his work which mm. they tend, which is a shame because musically I think that and Further Away next to each other are the most kind of oasis-y Britpop moment of hmm. the album <laughs> I just think Further Away it's fun, like I'm definitely more of an oasis apologist than most people I know yeah um and but and, and so I don't think that itself is what I don't like about it, but I think there's not a lot else going on in further sure. away. Yeah. Sure. I, I re listened to this last week in mm-hmm. a in a bid to try and convince myself that I was just being um a stroppy teenager <laughs> about about it and I thought, you know, maybe when I go back to it there's gonna be there's gonna be more to it than I thought and I maybe I'll find something to appreciate here. But it did kind of all the stuff that I didn't care for you know, when it first came out, was the same stuff that kind of rubbed me up the wrong way. And I think, mm. you know, those those songs you mentioned, you know, very much contribute to the sort of yeah. rip poppy feeling of it. Yeah. And you know, to be quite honest, I could not tell you anything about them. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I went through the whole record and I just sort of tuned out by the time I got to that point. Yeah. You know, I had Australia. I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, fair enough. You know, it's a it's a big rock anthem. And and then after that, my my interest just sort of <laughs> fell away. Yeah, even though it's away. even though it's a relatively short album. Yeah, yeah. By their Un- standards, <laughs> to come. Uh, uh, <laughs> unlike unlike its follow up, which is just <laughs> fucking interminable. Um, um, what about you, Ollie? What's your my, worst? Yeah, my worst here is um, actually the opener, Elvis impersonator, Blackpool Pier. Underwhelming. I'm not. Yeah, as an opener, I think silly. I'm not a big and a Richie one. Right. Uh, it was a Richie one about kind of yeah. Americanism, Americanization of British culture, among other things. But I, uh, but more, I don't know. It was, I think it was more global and more a, a, it's, a bigger than that. But that was I the mean, way it was presented. It, it's quite a flat opener, yeah. Um, particularly in comparison to you know, basically, you know, they've re- the previous three albums as well. They really just came out of the traps like so you got sla- yeah you got slash and yeah. burn uh, and then you got sleep flower <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Um, yes yeah exactly so you know <laughs> you really you really know what's going on there and, you and know, this, maybe, this maybe, starts with 30 seconds of just ambient soundscape yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and you know perhaps it was a it was a deliberate bid to try something different but you know it it's not a song that you know, on, on on first or any subsequent listens has ever really managed to yeah. grab my interest. There's two and interesting things I read about this one. Okay. First being that uh, James Dean Bradfield was initially trying to play it when he got the lyrics as like a Holy Bible style fast screamy song in his words. Right. But was persuaded mm. by Richie to slow it down. <laughs> uh and he thinks you fool. therefore rightfully but <laughs> it'd be interesting to hear I wonder if there's a demo out there anywhere of the original version um, and also it has Frank Sinatra's ex-harpist on it oh it's mm, okay. nice <laughs> okay. but, but a very much a sign of, of, of the change <laughs> <laughs> um, this is my true tell me yours <laughs> we're gonna go oh. are we <laughs> Oh, I mean, dear. so just before, well, as we were setting up, I said to Ollie, I feel like it's almost it's almost my role here to defend it a little bit because I had <laughs> it quite significantly higher up in my... It makes it sound like I love it. I don't. 
I, I have. I, you, you two could say absolutely anything about why it is your worst and second worst. Yeah. And I would completely agree with all of it, I am sure. Mm. <laughs> um, but the big thing that I said to Ollie while we were setting up that I think of is, is, again, I listened through to this one today again just to refresh myself. And the thing that I still think is that as much as all the things I'm sure we will go into that are wrong with it, at the core... I think there are a lot of well-written and good songs there that are not served well, that are better songs at the core of them than most of what they've put out since. That's kind of, I think, why it's ended up. Mm. That's why I've given it more of the benefit of the doubt, maybe, than some of their latter ones. That is, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, If you look at something like You Stole the Sun From My Heart. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's got a bit of fire in its belly, which is more than you can say for but a, this lot is, of, this a lot is... a lot of what came after. It's just that you got sick of that song oh, after yes. hearing it ten thousand times. And we're talking ninety eight, so me and you were ten years old at this point, fully yeah. aware of what's being played on the radio. And I remember um, if you tolerate this, and you stole the sun from my heart, being and tsunami as well. On- tsunami See, I don't really remember tsunami. Oh, being right, around. I do. I absolutely um, do. But those two, I remember. I like. I have specific memories of being in my dad's car on the way to like Sunday Little League football, and that song always being on every yeah, time yeah. we did that journey. You know, like which is sad because it's like such a soccer AM yes. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, like. I see what you mean, but um, like Rich said um, on Everything Must Go, they've fallen fallen into the trap of, me, of thinking that repetition makes a song good. Yeah. The chorus is just, you stole the sun from my heart, sung in slightly different ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember my dad Fun- hated it. I remember my dad absolutely hated it. Every time it came on the radio, he would like switch the station or whatever. But his main criticism was that he didn't like how the man was so shouty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 you know, I've got my notes here as I listened through this. I think, I think for the for the first time that I actually sat down and bothered to get through the entire hour of it mm-hmm. because that's one thing. It's mm-hmm. it just feels. You know, at least everything must go. Is, you know, it's over in a snappy sub 45 minutes, yeah. right? You should this never just... feel relief when an album ends. Oh, this You can one feel all fun. sorts, like Holy Bible, like we said. You can feel overwhelmed. You can feel. You should never feel relief. <laughs> and this one just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, it, it just. The, ve- the very worst part for me, actually, well, worst song is. Um, how it ends. Think of how pissed off they were at the entire world and how despairing they were of the general human condition on the Holy Bible. And with a topic as rage-inducing as Hillsborough, yeah. they make a song as boring as S-Y-M-M. Yeah. So fucking dull. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. I, even, I think no, Nobody Loved You would have been a better closer even as mm. well even just as a closing song I think mm. it's not you know I mean uh, yeah I mean this this album really gets off on the wrong foot with me because 
the everlasting is so bloody long and yeah. plodding, and they're clearly leaning into that, you know, radio-friendly, stringsy thing going on. And oh, I talk, this is another one that comes into the um, category that I talked about when we did REM. Yeah. Of albums from around this time, I'm t- sort of late latter years of the '90s and the beginning of the noughties. You had a load of albums where the artwork was just the blandest backdrop with the band members standing in the blandest clothes, and it always reflected a bland album. And yeah. this is yeah, absolutely one a, of those. Yeah, in terms of the cover art, we're we're a far cry now from record numbers of complaints to the BBC yeah. about James in his little balaclava and sailor suit yeah. aren't they're they? now just in their linens on the beach yeah <laughs> I mean it, it, this is the thing I mean I, I, I distinctly you know the late 90s was a very beige time <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know everything was you know I mean yeah the, it was it was very it was quite aesthetically drab a lot of the yeah. time you know and it's again, like you were saying about the closer, the everlasting is about um, like refugees and racism, and it's kind of present. I've said here that it, I feel like it's presented in the same way as the BBC News at ten, rather than like yeah. the impassioned delivery yeah, yeah. that they would have given it before. It's, it's actually ended up. <laughs> it's actually ended up my best song here, really? purely because I quite like the post-rocky structure yeah. of it. Yeah. I get that. It's too bloody long. But no, it, it is, is a gorgeous like, swing arrangement. Like most post rock, <laughs> it is too bloody long. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah go on, it, it, it goes on and on and on. And then just when you're relieved that it's finally stopped after over six minutes, yeah. they decide to hit you with an even more boring song. Yeah. Um, See, so this is the one that I think, I think the core of If You Tolerate This, Your Children Will Be Next, there is a brilliant song there. That could it's, have been. I, do, I really maybe, think if it was played, if it was played maybe, with more energy, and if it was produced so, and instrumented, the instrumentation was completely different. Yeah, I mean that's the thing though. It's so unenergetic. Yeah. It's so plodding for, a, for an know, anti-fascism. And, you know. Yeah, well, yeah like, and that's my best part of this record. That the, that a mega hit has a line about shooting fascists. Yeah. Obviously, with like the triple layered vocals and the swelling strings, it's attempting to be a design for life, right? trying to recapture some of that magic. And it did. You know, it did incredibly well. It was, it was again, you know, completely unavoidable yeah. at the time it came out. Yeah. Um, and I think this was the point, you know, I, I think, you know, I heard there was going to be a new album. And I thought, well, you know. Let's give it a fair crack because you know they did. You know they had a pretty, pretty dramatic change of direction going into the Holy Bible. They had a pretty dramatic change of direction going into Everything Must Go. So mm. you know who knows what we're going to get. And then we got you know like you said a bit of a retread of a design for life, but even less interesting. Yeah. Um. You know it's it's just so drab this song it's like, interesting I, I, as a, to, 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 to put into context of the battleground they were in if you tolerate this was a number one single for them and this is their first well their only really number one album both of those the chart battle was with steps <laughs> so it kind yeah. of do you know what i mean that's the yeah. that's the musical scene that this was <laughs> born into yeah um oh, wow also 
a two-part two-part story that I'm going to start here and I'm going to finish with our next episode of why I will never <laughs> trust any Pitchfork review ever again. <laughs> Part one is that they gave this album 9.5. Fucking hell. Part really? two to come in the next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know exactly what yes. you're talking about, but shoot, <laughs> 9.5. Fucking hell. Wow. Yeah. Um, more and like um, low lights here. You're tender and you're tired. Fucking whistling, really. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is a shame because, again, I feel like that's another one that has had potential to be quite a good one. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm able to tolerate. You know, I can, I can just off the top of my head name three songs I really enjoy that feature whistling. <laughs> yeah. But, but this Rose is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's Civil War, Winds of Change, and. Um, <laughs> Me and her Leo down by the schoolyard. Yes. All, you know, all all quality whistling, uh, <laughs> whistling tunes there. But uh, yeah, oof. I yeah, I do not like this record. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think everything must go. I, I'm willing to give it a fair crack of the whip, and I'm willing to concede that a lot of my um, antipathy towards it is born out of the the context in which I first encountered it and it's you know it, it being a very mm. significant change of direction from the stuff that I was really interested and invested in that came before it but this one I just straight up don't like it yeah um, I mean I'm looking here at my top three my number three song is My Little Empire and I'm thinking of it in my head and I'm thinking that's a shit song and yet it's my third, <laughs> third favourite. Yeah, I mean, so. I, I would say I... I quite like You Stole the Sun From My Heart, but mm. I like the chorus, and I yeah. find the the little drum machine verse bit with that plinky-plonky guitar a little bit irritating. Yeah, But at least there's... You know, at least the chorus of this song... Feels like they're. There's know, a bit of something in it. There's a bit of. They found bit a bit of energy board, yeah. in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I can, I'm, I'm very just very quickly before I forget. I think the only, the only other thing I have as a kind of I don't know if it's even a defence, but a reason. Excuse me, a reason that it is. Slightly higher up in my ranking than some of the other ones and later ones. Is I think I at least kind of respect and appreciate, that. Yes, it's too long, massively. And yes, it is not the approach that I want them to do or enjoy. Mm -hmm. But I do think as a whole album, it has a very definite identity and a very definite vision That's that fair. they had and they went for. Including including does. the fact that he gets out the the um, sitar and things like that. <laughs> he, there's, there's a lot of elements on here where they are experimenting with different instruments and things. And I think they have used the opportunity of the success of Everything Must Go and the big budget to go, sod it, let's just bring everything in and see what we can use it. And it's just kind of ironic and frustrating that that has led to such a I, bland I, result. Basically. Yeah, and I, you know, for me, you know, I think there's there's even less in the way of kind of dynamic variance yeah. in this than there is on Everything Must Go, which I think on an album this long is borderline unforgivable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's you know, if if you're sticking about for over an hour, you really need to, 
you know, maybe maybe try getting getting above 120 BPM or just on like one occasion or something, lads. Yeah. Like it, it just feels like they're constantly just kind of pootling along in yeah. third gear to yeah, me. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the other things that kind of stood out when I did my sort of full reappraisal of this one was tsunami. I I almost like it. It feels like with a completely different arrangement and production approach yeah. it could almost be a generation terrorist song um but it's just it's you know so smoothed off at the edges that this yeah. is it it's one that i know nikki my partner really loves as a song um i know lots of people consider it pretty, i just i get it's one of those i don't really get it I just, no. it doesn't do anything for me particularly yeah but i find it quite irritating it, it, if anything if we're doing a top three as well, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think probably, you know, there's there's something I I sort of like about the chorus of "You Stole the Sun," you know, tsunami. I can sort of see mm-hmm. that it's there's a flash of something that I give a shit about in there, mm-hmm. but um, what I did actually quite enjoy sort of taking it in isolation and trying to sort of divest it from the context of this album was um i'm not working which i yeah i quite like i i think it's quite a nice it's quite a decent little song Mm. but what you really don't need seven songs deep is yet another slow song on this album Mm -hmm. um so it i think it suffers from sitting right in the middle of an overlong quite boring album but i think it's quite a quite a decent little song in its own right I think there's a, my number one is kind of suffers similarly for, for being quite late on so you kind of it's easy to kind of ignore but, but I've gone with Born a Girl okay, which is directly influenced by Jeff Buckley mm-hmm. and you can hear it when you know that you can hear it in the guitar yeah, playing yeah. And, and some of the vocal melody as well um, which is a really it's probably it's one of Nicky Wire's most personal lyrics about kind of his his kind of androgyny and all of that sort of mm-hmm. conscious choice that he made with there with that um and Gen- gender questioning yeah yeah um and i just th- i just think it's really again in an album that has so much thrown at it in terms of the production instrumentation without achieving much this song shows how much more you can achieve in terms of being emotive by just having yeah. a guitar and vocal that's pretty much all that's going on throughout most of the mm-hmm. song and it has more of a deep effect than most of the rest of the album yeah what about your worst here, Chris? Uh, what have I gone with? Be natural. Okay. Um, again, it's really near the end. It's just a bit of a non-song. Really. Yeah. Comes straight after your favourite. Another another very okay computer sounding. Right. Guitar wise at mm-hmm. part times. Um, yeah. yeah. We're, we're very much heading into the um, post Britpop, post okay computer stage of indie. Yeah. Uh, we're heading into the era of God. God help us, Travis and Coldplay. I can't help but wonder if Radiohead's <laughs> success was an influence on the way this album sounds, and it just really oh, fell short. I, I, I absolutely imagine so. Yeah. Absolutely. You reflected on the Johnny Greenwood sounds on the um, on the last one. Um, yeah, no, um, 1999, they would have been... Uh, sorry, 98, they would have been fully aware of the yeah. phenomenal success, success that OK Computer was. Um, also... Um, you know, it, it, um, some of the mid-90s success of R.E.M. as well yeah, 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 would have been a big factor here. 
So I believe we're going to say goodbye to you at this point, Rich. Well, yeah, as, as I said, you know, when we, when we did the full set of albums rundown mm-hmm. um, at, at the start of all this, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I have a great deal I yeah, can contribute enough. beyond... Um, yeah, we've got you know, we've got this, your general your general uh, yeah overview on it and and I don't think I can contribute a great deal in in much more depth yeah, now on, on the later albums because yeah. you know really uh, well, no, this, this album don't, don't was really kind of you sitting here much more bored <laughs> yeah well this is this is the album where where me and the Manics kind of parted ways yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and and you know with a with a few notable exceptions that we. That we touched on in our early chat, mm-hmm. um, they they've not really done a great deal to um, entice me back. Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, but, well, so, yeah. Well, thank you very, very um, ever so much for your contributions. We usually do a shout out section at the end, uh, so we'll cut this bit in um, later on in the pod. Um, but yeah, lads, thanks so much for having me on. I no, really enjoyed uh, shooting the shit about you know. A couple of my all-time favourite records, and a couple that I really, really don't care for. Um, it, but it's been very enjoyable. Um, so thanks a lot for having me. Thank and, you um, so much, dude. And uh, yeah, yeah we'll, good, we'll good luck you. discussing the rest of it. Thank thanks. you very much. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll see it at the show, dude. Nice one. Take care, fellas. All right, take care, mate. Okay, so we're going to press on Sons, Mr. Morgan and uh, go into if we have to know your enemy so this was my worst overall where was it for you in the end Um, where did it end up it ended up um, 11 for me above rewind the film this is my truth and lifeblood Okay, those three all all very much have one thing in common so fair enough that just shows a very clear thing that you don't like (laughs) I think this is universally hated by both Manix fans and the wider audience. Yeah, I think I think the biggest um, thing is it may as well not exist. It's a it's a complete mess. Yeah, that's this is the this is the one word that I just used over and over again. It is just my worst thing about it. I just put a bloated, directionless mess. Yeah, it's too long. Yeah, and it has no like what I said about the one kind of maybe saving thing or the one thing I can respect about this is my truth is that it has a clear direction they were heading for and a clear mm-hmm. vision behind it this does not in any way have that no no it it it, it, it seems that they've sort of taken the crit- certain criticisms of this is my truth and try to inject this with a bit of um a bit of something and and those moments do stand out here mm. when, when, when they try to put in a little bit of something I, I, I think purely it was higher for me than you because my best songs here are a lot stronger yeah that's fair than enough the, I think the, 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 the notes on other the yeah. notes on other albums but yeah no 
it just lurches from one set of influences wildly to another. Yeah, I mean, for me, ultimately, it's the sound of a lost band, right? Yeah. You've, yeah. Every, everything they've been through and everything, they, I feel like you almost, when you go through some kind of big traumatic event, you almost go on autopilot for a while. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with the previous two albums. They were just like, right, let's just bury ourselves in this and, and do what we had started mm-hmm. and carried off a bit. And then I've got to this point and it's kind of like, what do we do now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're kind of, the album is almost a document of them working that out. In also, like we... <laughs> As we alluded to earlier, hey, <laughs> <laughs> like we said um, about um, this is my truth in a very lost period for yeah. British rock music. Yeah, two thousand and one yeah. was a bit of a wasteland. Yeah, when it comes to British bands, I mean, like in 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 America, you got new metal doing massive, massive yeah. numbers, and then uh, uh, you got the rise of Slipknot as well at the same time, um, <laughs> and the whole kind. Of- the, the whole pop punk thing I suppose was big yeah, at this point yeah as well. more massive yeah Blink would have been on top of the yeah. world at this point Green yeah. Day as well well no this is like their pre-American Off, offspring lull. offspring yeah um, we're talking another, uh, of another big artist big yikes on this album um, it's the lyric Brian Warner has a taste of little ass yeah yeah <laughs> um, I mean Nicky Wise described this album as a deeply flawed highly enjoyable folly Remove highly enjoyable <laughs> and you're spot on. <laughs> Deeply flawed folly, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, one one great thing to come from this era, I haven't included it in my best songs, mm. but um, the one-off single, Masters Against the Classes, Classes yeah, yeah, yeah um, was, yeah, like, genuine return to that Generation Terrorist sound yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that did really well I think it was their f- last to date number one mm. um, Masters Against the Classes uh, really great song um, something I've just been reminded of here as well that explains both the bloated overlong nature and the incredibly confused directionless nature of it musically mm-hmm. so uh, Sean Moore the drummer yeah, um, and, and 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 co-songwriter. So we haven't really mentioned him, but him and James Dean Bradfield wrote a lot of the music together. Yeah, um, yeah. He he is kind of the unsung hero yeah. of the Manic Shore More. Everyone really talk only really talks about JDB, uh, Nicky Wire, and Richie Edwards. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Shore Moore is a solid drummer. Yeah. Um, in 2014, in an interview, he he stated that basically that it was originally meant to be two different albums with completely different sounds and really? concepts. Basically, that what they ended su- up doing, me. what they ended up doing with Rewind the Film and Futurology, um, is exactly what happened with those two. They recorded them at the same time with the idea that the songs would be on two separate albums for two yeah. different approaches, and that's what this was supposed to be. But um, the record label didn't want to do that, basically, and made them put it all as one album. Mm. Um, that's uh, actually <laughs> that raises something really funny in my head think what um, came out the year before and ended up as two separate albums Kid A and Amnesiac yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's I just I don't really have anything else to say about it there are some there are some high, highlight songs on here mm. I've got so I've got and they've all got a lot in common in that there's the most energetic ones basically yeah being so I've got Dead Martyrs my number three that's my number four. Um, found that soul, my number two, the opener, yeah. and intravenous agnostic, my number one. 
Yeah, nice. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so why so sad? Um, is my only different different. Well, no, my number one's different to yours. But um, so why so sad? I've got in in my top four here. Okay. Um, I've just got the only thing I've written for that is subpar Beach Boys worship. I just think maybe it's because as we reflected in the, in the, in the previous albums chat I heard those previous angle, album singles so much yeah. that this sounds better in comparison was it was that a single I didn't realize yeah, uh, yeah the okay. the big one right from this album the one I suppose that, it's got more I suppose it's it's got things in common with the previous album so it made sense to be the sort of bridge single between those albums yeah yeah uh, but my number one is actually my Guernica. Yeah. Okay. I which I thought I liked on first listen through to this album more than I did on the second. Yeah. I don't like those distorted drums. Right. I I hate it when that's done and uh, it sometimes, occasionally bands do that and and pull it off and it suits the song. But I think here it just it, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. You know, you make like you just make it so it's distorting and peaky. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it makes it sound like a demo to me a little bit. Yeah, which, fair. Uh, which yeah. is frustrating because I think it's, yeah, otherwise it's a good song. Um, also worth mentioning, I did quite enjoy the uh, shout out to the Beastie Boys on Freedom of Speech. Yeah. <laughs> Former po- uh, another uh, podcast alumni. Yeah. Um, yeah, but let's get into the really dull stuff here. Ocean Spray is a oh, bad, bad right. song. So it's got so two things that happen on this album mm-hmm. and unfortunately they are the two worst songs yeah being Ocean Spray yeah and uh, is it Wattsville Blues yeah 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 um, so Wattsville Blues is the first case of Nicky Wire taking a lead vocal yeah good god we've already covered this with Rich but <laughs> flipping hell um, nice of him to give him a go but don't yeah. release it um, and then uh, Ocean Spray being the first James Dean Bradfield completely written song mm-hmm. so he wrote the lyrics as well yeah and it's a, sh- it's a I feel this is my like we've done this a few times um, where there's been a really emotional song that we've slagged off yeah which is a shame because it's about his his mum when she was being treated for cancer yeah um, but it's a bad song yeah 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 my ultimate worst here is um, Royal Correspondent I've now I'm glad you've highlighted that mm because I thought about that one ultimately is that it's just kind of nasty mm. like they've done scathing attacks on particular outlooks and particular kind of things about society and whatever before a lot yeah and this that is what this is but it feels like such a I don't know like so many things going on in the world yeah and you choose to write this scathing nasty song about what like <laughs> someone has cho- chosen it literally is about a royal correspondence like yeah. right what is your problem with Nicholas Witchell it's, it's like <laughs> I kind of I get it but also like, Jenny Bond poor Jenny Bond but, but really is that the best place to direct that yeah. kind of anger it just seems a yeah, bit odd yeah no indeed um, yeah to move on there's, there's really not, not, not a lot more to say yeah it's a long this. album there's plenty more we could talk about in terms of yeah. individual songs but I mean don't know about you I don't really want to no not really <laughs> not really um, rem- um, just... I, I, the one thing I would make my, my best thing about it is the hidden track of the cover of We Are All Bourgeois Now oh okay who's that originally um, by McCarthy oh right um, okay 
it's a bit awkward when the hidden cover at the end of your album is better than most of the actual <laughs> album is what I've said there but yeah 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 just uh, a lot of not a lot yeah <laughs> and that can also apply to Lifeblood which is why no see I've got Lifeblood quite a lot higher up as well have, than you and you I have. think and I think the main reason is similar to what I said in defence of This Is My Truth in that at least it, they've gone back to having a very definite vision and a very, you know, there's a definite sound to the album as a whole all the way through. Mm -hmm. And as much as, again, it's very reactionary, it's very early Coldplay. Yeah. Very early, like um, Empty Souls. Yeah. Which was a, a single from it, could be a Coldplay song yes. from this era. And but it is my number three song because it's, it's good at two. doing it you know yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good at doing it but I have very little respect for it because it's just a rip off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's got some really like the bridge is a really classic Mannix melodically it yeah, has, yeah, it's yeah. this is what I didn't say that I wanted to say actually about what I said there earlier about them becoming very reactionary with their influences and, and things is that all, despite that there are things about their unique sound that always do manage to come through Mm -hmm. which saves it slightly but yeah no like ultimately this trails off it would have been a very good EP yeah yeah okay I see what you mean uh, like 1985 is not a bad start, start if a little soporific yeah but then I feel like there's a I, I, basically my highlight thing is I've, I've said there's a bit of a reinvigoration behind those opening three or four songs yeah. I feel like they've gone into those three or four with a right we know what we want to do and we're going to give that our all and I, yeah. I feel like you get that I feel like there is a certain passion and energy coming through whether it even if it's not in actual like fast songs or anything or loud songs there's a certain vitality to it that hasn't been there for a little while yeah I just don't see a freshness a modernness to it I suppose I just don't it's, it's actually ended up one of my worst songs because it was a single like I don't see the love of Richard Nixon as, as a single at all see I've got it as my number one really? I, do, I do remember it being a big single and I remember it the video being everywhere of yeah. like him at a news desk right. and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and, I, and I remember li I remember liking that song a lot at the time yeah. um, so this was 2004 so this was just when I was starting to sort of get into music properly and buy albums and things yeah so like this is one another one that I picked up at a charity shop I think a few years later my um, um, my number one is actually uh, to repel ghosts okay um, what we were saying there about um, Kevin Carter being awkward phrasing I'm not yeah. sure if that's off or on Mike when uh, when we were talking about the difference between um, Kevin Carter in some yeah. instances and Kevin yeah, Carter yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But um, to repel ghosts, it, it, the awkward bit where he has to, where he has to pronounce. Yeah, 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 ghosts. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I, I, I've got something I've noted about that song, which I, is my worst thing about the album as a whole. Mm. Is I think there is almost every song is let down by a non-chorus. Yeah, yeah. Every song has real potential, and it gets to the chorus, and the chorus just kind of goes, nah. Yeah. Like when you got a talent like James Dean Bradfield that's delivering a chorus, yeah. it's just a waste. Yeah. When you've got choruses as massive in your back catalogue yeah. as a, a Desire for Life and Motorcycle Emptiness, yeah. what are they doing? I've got um, doing? My, my second favourite is the closer Cardiff Afterlife, mm -hmm. a rare song about Richie. 
yeah. at this point. Um, and I think a case of them having that kind of emotional depth yeah. to it and a genuine feeling to it uh, yeah. as a result. Um, some really cool like stop-start drums in the end of the last chorus before the instrumental break. Mm-hmm. It's just some really nice, cool moments in it as well, musically. Um, yeah, there's just something, and I think as good as a closer, there's something a bit final to the overall tone of the song. Mm. And to me, almost sounding more than just for an album closer, I can't help but wonder if they were considering ending the band here. Because mm. it would have been an appropriate album and song for that to happen it did take them like this is um this may be the longest break they actually took yeah um until send away the tigers yeah that wasn't out until they didn't that didn't come out until sort of mid 2007 this yeah. was late 2004 so it's kind of three years either side of it but yeah yeah i just can't i think the three years before this one was because no your enemy was such a mess and they were working out what they wanted to yeah, do yeah yeah but I do feel like this yeah I don't know I just get the feeling from this one that it could have been it and it's debatable whether it should have been or not but <laughs> yeah um, more of my worst oh bloody hell glasnost painful mm. interpolation of a political metaphor yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rich uh, Edwards polemics these are not anymore uh, solitude sometimes is as well really boring yeah. song sloshy miserable nonsense yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I think there's a cool like there's some cool funk pop bass mm-hmm. parts going on that we've not really had from them before Nicky mm-hmm. Wire getting to sort of exercise his bass chops a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, always never I think it's a good one for that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that I feel like is just kind of uh, similar to a couple of bits we've already talked about Emily Mm-hmm. about Emmeline Pankhurst mm. she deserves a song a lot more invigorating and interesting <laughs> than that doesn't she just you know her mate didn't throw herself in front of the king's horse for this yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. so I think it's, it's, it's as high up as it is because I think, I think there's a little bit of personal nostalgia and attachment to it yeah being, was, it, was this like an early one you picked up from a charity shop yeah and not that long after it had come out and it was the first one that I was aware as an as not as an adult but aware as someone paying attention to current music I was aware of the build up to the release and it coming out nicer cover than um, This yeah. Is My Truth and uh, yeah. No Your Enemy quite, if, I think that's part a little of, bland. I think that was part of the appeal of it when it came out to me as well it's quite a striking it's in its simplicity although ironically given um, given there's a title there, uh, there's a song title on here If Ocean Spray does look a bit like someone's spilled yes. cranberry juice <laughs> yeah I didn't think that <laughs> yeah maybe that's what it is <laughs> just one more to mention to close out I Live to Fall Asleep yeah, us two lads to this. <laughs> oh dear. So send away the tigers now. So where did this at number three for you, Neil? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because um, I was very, very familiar with this album. Yeah. Um, this was the one that came out in my first year in university, and the University of Chester, in their infinite wisdom, gave us roommates in student halls. Yeah and my roommate played this album a lot okay. obnoxiously loud because he was an obnoxious kind of guy right <laughs> <laughs> me saying that you know <laughs> so this would have been so to that, so like end of first year of uni yeah but yeah, yeah, okay. yeah yeah so 2000 so yeah, so, yeah so um, I heard this one to death 
but um, it did. Uh, so, but I did have a lot of fond memories of it. I think um, where this album is really strong is the strongest they've been for a while. Yeah, it's a very. If they were thinking of ending it after Lifeblood, this is a strident comeback record. Yeah, I have. I have. I think I said off mic when we were around Rich's doing his uh, uh, bits earlier. I think, like, I have some thoughts about the fact that at, from this point onwards, they start to just kind of retread old ground well, in a bit of a pattern. I mean, and I, my worst thing about this album is that I feel like at times it does feel like an attempt to recapture past glories rather than grow. Well, I think, uh, but as a counterpoint to that, I think this is the record where they start to be influenced by just the Manic Street Preachers rather than what's yes. going on around them. Yeah, yeah, I take that point. Um, and, and, I feel, and, and bands are sometimes better off when they start doing that. Yeah, I, ha- I have said as my highlight, I do, like, so I do think it's the start of them becoming a legacy band. Yes. And I, as my highlight I, is that whilst I don't completely agree with a lot of the reviews and stuff around it of it being a return to form mm. I think it gets close and it, yeah. they've got they've clearly got their mojo back yeah 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 they've, they're, there's, there's that actual energy in mm-hmm. the songs particularly in one in particular uh, yeah, yeah. That, that definitely has that excitement that they've yeah. been missing yeah certainly um, certainly in the title track which has ended up being my yeah. second favourite here yeah um, they they definitely know how to open an album. Yeah, that's my, it's my th- number three. Like, um, with, the, with the exception of Elf is Impersonator, um, I think every album's opener, even if we haven't liked the last three particularly, yeah. has been a strong one. Yeah. Um, it's lovely and short. After the last few records, absolutely dragged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, I, I do think it is a lesson in, like, like we said about the previous sort of dragging meandering ones it yeah. is a lesson in simplicity and melody yeah you know a good it's just it is it isn't just an album of good hefty guitar pop songs yeah which I hate to be that guy but is what they do best yeah it is absolutely um, it's not without it's um, no <laughs> uh, con parts um underdogs is crap <laughs> I'm just a patsy is crap <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, sorry something we sorry just very quickly because I've just seen one something we didn't mention about Lifeblood was it was Tony Visconti produced right which is a rare break from their partnership with Dave Aringa we talked yeah. about band and producer partnerships before yeah 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 Aringa is someone who they I, I don't know if I'm saying his name right at all yeah actually, yeah, no yeah idea. Aringa um, yeah. someone who they have taken occasional steps away from to try something a bit different yeah as a, as a deliberate choice for that yes. style of that album but they always come back to him <laughs> mm, mm. Um, and they're like this you can tell this is one of those big examples where you can tell they've got back with him after a break away <laughs> yeah and they've just gone full on make it sound like a Mannix album <laughs> yeah um, which is a, um, and that's a real shame that Tony Visconti wasn't able to make something yeah. of Lifeblood I he, do think he, he provides what I said about that kind of almost Bowie stuff or, yeah almost that kind of modern shininess to it yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah uh, well, uh, what, um, have you got anything to add in terms of worst here uh, my overall worst is Imperial Body Bags yeah fine um just along similar lines. Again, really. I, I'm not. I'm not a fan of that whole lead guitar echoing the vocal melody thing. This, I don't really um, like it when bands do that. This album is very top heavy. Yes. Um, you know, all of my best parts here are in the first half, 
um, with the with the um, with the exception of Autumn Song I think that's my joint third yeah third single and deserved to be yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, definitely really good guitar hook like all, again almost uh, motorcycle emptiness style yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Guitar. for sure um, rendition as well just before it is um, yeah a bit of that sort of like um, generation terrorist yeah. energy to it yeah um, I quite like that, that, that bit of a frenetic energy that they haven't had for a long time that's my joint third but um, number one here is um, yeah clear standout from Latter Day Manics Your Love Alone and This Is Not Enough the Such. duet with Nina Pearson of yeah. the Cardigans such a good single yeah Oh yeah, it's banger <laughs> alert is what I put. Like it is, which you haven't been able to say for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, yeah. yeah, Nina Person of the Cardigans is what what a genius choice to get her on board for this song because like she'd um, she'd uh, she'd they'd kind of been out the limelight for yeah. quite some time at this point. Yeah. Like my favorite game was what ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. So this is two thousand and seven, ten years on, and you forgot how achingly sexy her voice is yeah. <laughs> and um, melt, how, melt, how perfectly it melts with um, James Dean Bradfield's um, yeah like um, perfect example of a latter day legacy band with a big yeah. comeback single yeah. This Is Us Again and it's kind of that song was everywhere for a while yeah, 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 yeah. And, I, and I didn't hate it though no and it's weird that so we, I criticised parts of Everything Must Go, like Kevin Carter and things, of being songs about harrowing subjects that sounded upbeat. Mm. Whereas I kind of like how much they've gone with that juxtaposition in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the, the, the title of the song comes from um, the last line of the suicide note left by a friend of someone oh, gosh. close to the band. Mm-hmm. Um and Nicky Wire said that he used that as inspiration, but then a lot of the lyrics are about Richie's disappearance. Mm. Um, and there's a quote from him about it from an interview where he said, while I was writing those words addressed to him on, on Your Love Alone, something touched me at my desk when I wrote, I could have shown you how to cry. Mm-hmm. Like, I, th- I think more and more as the band go on and, the, and, and Nicky Wire returns to Richie as subject matter, mm. The, the the kind of rawness of it emotionally almost gets more intense because you can yeah. tell that he clearly loved him yeah, quite yeah. deeply like yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's still dealing with that mm-hmm. um, and and I think you could be cynical and say that they're almost using it but I don't think that's the case I think it is a genuine tribute thing I think mm-hmm. it's just that he he is expressing something that is still something he lives through you know yeah 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 mm. Yeah. Um, much more to say here? Um, I think parts of trying to recapture former glories are things like Indian Summer, very yeah. much being a Design for Life waltzy yeah. rock number. Yeah. Um, things like that. I think um, the close of Winter Lovers actually really liked. Um, I don't hate the gang vocal na 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 intro as yeah. much as I should. I usually mm-hmm. hate that kind of thing, but it kind of works here. And again, I, I really a highlight for, for JDB's vocals on that one I think yeah and I love the Guns N' Roses comes back in with a Paradise City style drum breakdown <laughs> and big crunchy chords uh, 
Uh, yeah, but but a much less successful hidden cover at the end of this one uh, with Working work Class Hero, Hero on, in the Allen. same year that Green Day, no matter what you think of them, released a very good cover of it that song. It was a very good cover. It was a very good cover. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. Like I remember um, when um, yeah when I was hearing that album um, over and over again, I do remember thinking towards the end, dropping off quite significantly, but really coming back yeah. with uh, with Winter Lovers. Yeah. Yeah, good album. So we'll um, we'll close out part three of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's fourteen albums. <laughs> it's fourteen albums, and as was evident from the first two and a bit parts with Rich, yeah, some 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 albums that mean an awful lot yeah, to all three of us. Absolutely, so, you know. absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, join us for our final part. We promise, part four. <laughs> where we'll be covering uh, Journal for Plague Lovers, um, Postcards from a Young Man, Rewind the Film, Futurology, Resistance is Futile, and The Ultra Vivid Lament. <laughs> Slamming through them um, as we uh, also take on our top five songs with Saints in the title, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, because they're called the Manor Street Preachers and they have an album called The Holy Bible. And our usual shout out to the end with our with a little last contribution from Mr. Morgan. So uh, yeah, join us on the other side of the jingle. Thanks very much for bearing with us, folks. We promise we're done soon.